Well, today is uh, Hanukkah, and uh, we're going to uh, talk about Hanukkah today. Uh, how many of you here? How many of you here are really pretty much unfamiliar with this holiday? Is anybody here like just like it must be just like the Jewish version of Christmas or something? Right? Is that you? Is that you? Okay. Well, I, I'm going to share just briefly. Uh, about uh, what Hanukkah is, so that we can get to like the point of what we want to get out of it uh, today. Now, tomorrow at our Hanukkah party, will you be coming to our Hanukkah party tomorrow? You won't. Okay. At our Hanukkah party, I'll go into a little bit more uh, explanation of the traditions and everything. But Hanukkah, of course, is a celebration of, uh, of a number of things. But primarily what it is, it's the celebration of a victory of the Jewish people over a much larger enemy about 165 years before Yeshua came, right? And the enemy was uh, the Greco-Assyrian king uh, Antiochus, which wasn't his real name. Uh, you know, it was like a title, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, he was the king, and through a series of circumstances, I'll just say, uh, he and his uh, army uh, uh, came into Jerusalem, pillaged the city, desecrated, uh, uh, desecrated the temple, uh, and, uh, um, uh, and basically um, uh, oppressed uh, the Jewish people in, uh, in the environs of Jerusalem. And it was very serious because if it had continued, uh, it might have been the end of Jewish temple worship and the complete assimilation of the Jewish people, okay? Now, uh, of course, there was actually a group of Jewish people that was, uh, they were assimilationists, you, you know, uh, and so there was a lot of turmoil in Jerusalem at this time. Well, not far from Jerusalem, in a little town called Modin, there was a priest, his name was Mattathias, and he had five sons, and they began uh, a, um, a rebellion, uh, against uh, the Assyrians, right? Uh, and uh, they, they did not have an organized army, but it was what we call today like guerrilla warfare. You know, they, uh, they, they went from town to town, tore down pagan shrines, and people joined up with them. And, and they finally made their way to Jerusalem, and they uh, were able to recapture the temple, defeat the enemy, uh, and then they had to cleanse the temple, of course, and then rededicate it. And Hanukkah is the celebration of that whole event, but in, but in particular, the dedication of the temple. Okay, that's, so that's what it is. And the word Hanak, Hanukkah, dedication. All right, that's what, it, that's what it means. Dedication from the beginning, kind of like in, in English, probably even a better word would be inauguration, kind of like that, you know, and from the beginning, being dedicated for a purpose from the beginning, all right? Now, the word itself is very interesting. It's translated some interesting ways in the Bible, but that's another story for another day, all right? But, uh, but that's basically what the celebration is. Uh, and uh, as time, uh, you know, you know how it is, after the event, a few generations go by and it gets sort of like interpreted, you know, and so I, I eventually, and not, and not very long after, certainly by the days of Yeshua, I, it was understood to be that, the, that God, the invisible hand of God, got this victory for the Jewish people. Hence the Haftorah portion from Zechariah uh, chapter 4, that famous phrase, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And of course, as we'll see, that had to do with the rebuilding of, you know, the rebuilding of that temple that was eventually desecrated and cleansed and then rededicated, the very same one. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, it began to be understood that way. And, uh, and of course, the holiday is eight days long. Uh, the legend of the holiday being eight days long is that a small little bit of oil lasted for eight days. I, I, however, I, it seems that the history is, is really that the people missed celebrating Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, right? 
And so uh, on, on, uh, when they rededicated the temple, they celebrated basically a holiday like Sukkot, and that became Hanukkah. Hence, the lighting of the menorah, the eight candles, the eight days, and so on and so forth, right? Uh, how we light the menorah, that we'll save for tomorrow night. Uh, and, uh, and we play a game called dreidel, right? And uh, we eat. Uh, the, the, the idea is to eat uh, uh, the most, um, uh, what would be the, uh, the, the, I can't think of the word. Anyway, the most uh, unnu- unnutritious food possible, okay? What is the word I'm trying to think of? It's just, uh, yeah, but it's really good, okay? So we eat uh, potato pancakes, potato latkes, right, uh, in the Middle East, and now more even here, uh, a food that is like, it's not exact, it is not exactly a jelly donut, but it has a really cool name, and, and the plural is, is the best way to pronounce it. Sufganyot. Isn't that great when it comes off your tongue? It's great, okay? Um, and the idea is that you're eating food that's, that's made with oil, because the oil lasting for eight days, okay? That is what the holiday is uh, all about. So over time, over hundreds and hundreds of years, the holiday has come to symbolize uh, free, re- like religious freedom, I, I, and the, um, uh, the uh, unique uh, peoplehood of Israel, and that through thick and thin, uh, through persecution after persecution, God continues to have his hand on us. And so it has become this great holiday of hope I, um, uh, for the Jewish people. and very much symbolizes uh, hope. Okay. So that, in a nutshell, and that would be probably like a little peanut shell, uh, what uh, Hanukkah uh, is all about. So it is indeed a a holiday of uh, hope, Uh, and it is uh, very interesting that uh, the Messiah himself observed it. Isn't that interesting? What? How could that be? Well, it's very interesting, uh, in uh, the Gospel of John, in the 10th chapter, it's quite clear that Yeshua observed Hanukkah. And that should not come as a surprise uh, uh, to us, of course, Yeshua was Jewish, celebrated Hanukkah. What is kind of interesting, though, is that what this text tells us, not just us, but anybody who reads it, is that by the time of the middle of the, or the first half of the first century, this was a holiday that was uh, observed by everybody. It was a, it was, or it was, it was a Jewish holiday, you know, and, uh, and so we don't read about a lot of observances of Hanukkah, uh, you know, prior uh, to the rabbinical period, you know, following um, the destruction of the temple and everything. So historically, it's kind of an interesting passage, a little important little anecdote uh, uh, to understand that Hanukkah was a holiday at this time. So uh, in verse 22 uh, of John chapter 10, it says, At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. Okay, that's, uh, and then it says it was winter. And Yeshua was standing in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So John is very helpful here. Uh, he tells us, gives us a time frame here. The feast of the dedication is Hanukkah. That's what it is. So he says, at the time of Hanukkah, I, I, or at that time, Hanukkah took place at Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Yeshua and it's interesting, he's walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. That could be because it was wintertime uh, and not on the steps or not outside. So that's kind of interesting. Okay. Okay. And then it says after that, as we read in our Brichara uh, Shah portion today, the Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah or not? Right? Tell us plainly. Right? So Yeshua answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These bear witness of me. 
But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, uh, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Uh, let's see. Uh, we'll stop there. We can read farther, but we'll stop there for now at least. Let me see. All right, so this is very interesting that it's at Hanukkah uh, and uh, at this time they want to know, are you the Messiah or not? Right? And so uh, he says, you know, I've told you and I've demonstrated who I am, but you not believe and you don't believe because you are not my, my sheep. Now, it's important for us to understand why does you ask ourselves, why does Yeshua say that? And why does he say it now? Why, why, and why is it written even uh, uh, this, this way? Okay, there's several things going on. One is, is that, you know, if you go back a little farther in, uh, you know, in chapter 10, right? Uh, this is where uh, you have... Uh, you know, the famous uh, uh, statement where Yeshua says, I am the good shepherd, right? In verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them, okay? So he's, he's saying, when he says, you, are not, you, don't, you don't know who I am because you're not my sheep, this is in the context of him saying, I am the good shepherd. All right. Now, what's interesting is that according to certain ancient sources, there's a particular uh, uh, text read at Hanukkah, okay? And that is in, uh, that is in um, Ezekiel chapter 34. And you may be familiar with it or you may not be familiar with it. All right. This is one of those woes that the prophets are famous for, right? And, uh, and so you have here, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. And he goes on and on. Uh, and so uh, he goes uh, farther down, and uh, he says here in verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep, and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. That's a that's a very interesting little phrase for another, another time. All right. And he says, And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on a mountain of Israel by the streams and in the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and so on and so forth. Right? Verse 15, I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. All right. So this is one of those uh, great teachable moments where, we, where you are missing out on the understanding of what the Messiah says if you ignore the Tanakh. And so many people have come to the supremely wrong conclusion about what I just read. In fact, my guess is, is that most of us in Messianic congregations don't like to give a message about the John 10, it was Hanukkah, except for just saying it was Hanukkah, because of what it says after, after it, of this confrontation. But it's very important that we understand what Yeshua is actually saying. So, according to ancient sources, this passage in Ezekiel 34 was read at Hanukkah. Okay? That is the backdrop of what he's saying. So when he says, I'm the good shepherd, he is identifying himself with Hashem. He is identifying himself with the Lord God. God says, I will seek my sheep. 
I will care for my sheep. Yeshua says, I am the good shepherd. This, they got it. This is why there is this confrontation. Okay? So they understand indeed what he's saying. That's number one. Number two is that when, he sa- when it says the Jews said this to him, and then he says, I have other sheep, you're not my sheep, what it doesn't mean is that he's not saying the Jews are not my sheep. Like the Jewish people, like all of the Jewish people are not my sheep. That's not what he's saying. Usually in John, when you read the Jews, It is the detractors of Yeshua. There were plenty of Jewish people who followed the Lord. Not only that, but Yeshua himself talks about the redemption of Israel. And we read about the redemption of Israel all over the New Covenant. Uh, And so quite clearly, Yeshua, uh, when he says he's the good shepherd, it's actually the meaning is the opposite of what many people get out of it. When he says, I'm the good shepherd, he's the one who's going to bring Israel back. And when he says, you are not my sheep, he means you who who will not recognize me. And that was no different than in the days of Ezekiel. Because what is he saying in Ezekiel 34? Woe unto you, the false shepherds. They were Jews. They were Jewish leaders. They were Jewish leaders who were not feeding the flock. They were Jewish leaders who were in it, so to speak, for their own selves or for their own agenda, and they did not feed the flock. And God says, I'm going to do away with you, and I will feed my flock. May I suggest that Yeshua is speaking to the kind of like the same group of people. The people who he says in Ezekiel, in the Tanakh, in the prophet, he says, no, 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 you are, you are going to be judged, but I will come and I will shepherd my sheep. See? And so that is exactly who Yeshua is, and that is exactly what he is, uh, what he, what he is saying there. But that's only one little part of the story, okay? That's just one part of the story. I'm going to suggest that there's something else that Yeshua had in mind here, okay? Especially uh, at, uh, at Hanukkah, and that is our Haftorah for Today, from the third chapter of uh, Zechariah, okay? And actually, the second and third chapter of Zechariah. It's very important that we, uh, that we understand this. Now, we are not going to, uh, we don't, are not going to do a verse-by-verse verse, study of the third chapter of Zechariah some other time, perhaps. But I want us to get, the, like, the point of what's going on when Yeshua is uh, identifying himself with Hashem here. Because he's bringing together, as he often does, a number of things and sort of bringing them all together. Now, if you had a chance to read the Jirash this, uh, this week, I talked a little bit about this. And, uh, and so it's interesting. So Zechariah, uh, the main purpose of the book of Zechariah is to encourage the Jewish people to rebuild the temple. Okay, that's, you know, Zechariah is a prophet who wrote, who lived and wrote after the Babylonian captivity. Okay, so remember that all of the prophets, except for Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi, all were before the Babylonian captivity, right? And their main message was repent because bad times are coming. So the bad time came and they went into exile. And now, now uh, a remnant of the people have returned to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a mess. It wasn't the same Jerusalem that they left. The temple was destroyed. Foreign people are living in the city. You know, uh, and it was, it was in shambles. Right? And so uh, perhaps the people wondered, is God still with us? Does he still care about us? Right? And so Zechariah and Haggai, they were contemporaries. They wrote this, they probably knew each other. Um, basically, are giving the same kind of message, but from a little different point of view. So in Zechariah, at the beginning of the book, he says, Don't be like your fathers who ignored the prophets. Listen to the word of the prophets. And then he has a series of visions. 
And all of the visions have to do with encouraging the people and with the rebuilding of the temple in one way, shape, or form. So in the second chapter, the actual beginning of the, of the Haftorah portion begins in verse, uh, verse 10. And it says there, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord's. And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That's interesting. Wait a minute. So uh, let's see. God says in the first person, I will dwell in your midst and nations will join up with you. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That's an odd thing. First of all, the, the main thing we want to get out of that is that it didn't happen. Here, Zechariah is saying, this is what's going to happen. But it didn't exactly, uh, it didn't exactly take place, right? That, uh, yes, they eventually end up rebuilding the temple, but it's quite clear. Now, you know, Zechariah was fortunate to live after everybody else, all the other prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Joel, because he was able to glean from them a number of different truths. We could call it his informed theology. And of course, God spoke, you know, through him uh, uh, to the people. But, you know, there are uh, many, many, many places in the book of Isaiah. I'm sure you know some and other places as well that talk about the inclusion of the nations. You know, you certainly read about it in the book of Amos. It's quoted in uh, Acts chapter 15 in the New Covenant, right? Uh, and uh, you, you read about it certainly in the, the first number of chapters of, of Isaiah. The nations are going to come to Jerusalem, right, and worship the Lord. And, and so there's lots of places. We won't take the time to turn to them, but there's lots of them, right? And, and so clearly... Uh, this is speaking about something far greater than what was going to take place in Zerubbabel's day of uh, rebuilding the uh, temple, something far greater. Then you come to the third chapter. In the third chapter, uh, this is, uh, uh, I, would, I would refer to this as great preaching material. Chapter 3 is about how God takes the priest, that, that, the high priest at that time, his name was Joshua. It's not Joshua from the book of Joshua. Okay, it's a different person. It's many, many, many hundreds of years later, right? So this Joshua is the high priest. And, and so there's this vision of him being uh, wearing uh, clothes uh, you know, that are soiled, and God gives him new clothes, and, and it's understood to be the, the cleansing of Israel, all right? Uh, the taking away of the sins of Israel. All right, so... What we want to uh, look at here is verse 8, 8, 9, and 10 of chapter, uh, of chapter 3. All right. It says there, Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, either elder, the elders or priests, okay? Indeed, they are men who are a symbol, for behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on them, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity uh, of the land in one day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Okay, so God, the first part of the chapter is you have this illustration of the high priest and being cleansed, representing the nation. And then in the ex explanation of it, in verse 8 in particular, okay, you see that uh, uh, God says to, uh, you know, through the prophet to the high priest, you know, you and, and, and especially the men who are sitting in front of you are a symbol of Someone who's going to come. You're a symbol or a token or a sign of someone who's going to come. And that person is called my servant, 
the branch. And then quite clearly, we read that my servant, the branch, is going to remove the iniquity of the land. Okay, now, this, my servant, the branch, it's a fascinating name, right? So you may be familiar with this, maybe not. But in the prophet Isaiah and in the prophet Jeremiah, we read about this person who is descended from David being called the branch, the tzemach. Why the branch? Probably because it's like where we read about a shoot that comes out of the stump of Jesse, you know, a descendant of David. The branch refers to a descendant of David. For example, in Isaiah chapter 4, I believe we have there, in Isaiah chapter 4, yeah, in verse 2, in that day, again, you got that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. And it will come about that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. Okay? So it's interesting you read about the branch of the Lord there. Then Jeremiah really articulates this in chapter 23, and also in chapter 33. But in Jeremiah chapter 23... Behold, the day in verse 5, behold, the days are coming. Again, days are coming, looking to the future. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely, and do justice and righteousness in the land. And we even sing a song based on this verse. And in his, and in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness the Lord our righteousness. And so now, clearly, Zechariah is taking what Isaiah says, he's taking what Jeremiah says, and he builds on it himself. And he refers, interestingly enough, to this descendant of David, who's going to sit on his throne, he calls him the servant, the branch. And it's very interesting that the servant, he calls him the servant, the branch, in relationship to the taking away of the sins of Israel. Okay? Now, what else did he maybe glean from Isaiah? Because he probably read the whole book, right? Uh, we know that Isaiah speaks much about King Messiah. King Messiah descended from David. But Isaiah also speaks about the servant, right? The servant of the Lord. The suffering servant, you know? In Isaiah chapter 49 and 53 in particular, right? And it's very interesting because if you look here, especially first in 49, in verse 5, it says this, And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nation so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And we'll stop there. Okay. Then in chapter 53, we read most certainly uh, about the servant of the Lord, the suffering servant of the Lord, right? He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And I won't take time to read it, but you can read the rest of it. And clearly, uh, the suffering servant uh, is the one who bears our, who bears our sins. All right? So it's interesting because I, here you read about the servant who is the branch descended from David, the king, who is the servant who takes away the sins. Okay? And it is interesting that the branch and the servant come from Isaiah, who clearly talk about the servant reaching out to the Gentiles as well as Israel. And so it's kind of interesting that here in Zechariah, if you can follow me, in chapter 2, when he says, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. 
declares the Lord, and many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day. Isn't it interesting that, yes, that speaks of the, of the future. And here in chapter 3, we read specifically the people are told that what's happening in your day is about something bigger than yourselves. Where the prophet says that you, you, know, you and the people with you are a symbol of what's to come. Very important. All right? But that's not all. Because then, in the fourth chapter, you have this vision of the, uh, the uh, Chanukiah of Chanukiot, right? You know, it is uh, the menorah of menorahs, right? Not, not, not the Hanukkah menorah, really. It was really the, the, the menorah in the temple, the candelabra in the temple. But the point of the vision is a never-ending supply of oil, a never-ending supply of light, all right? Very important. Never-ending supply of, of light, of oil. And clearly, this oil, this never-ending oil, is representative of the Ruach, of the Spirit of God, because what do we read? Uh, we read here, um, after, you, after you read about all of the, you know, the lampstand and the description of the bowls and all of the oil, the never-ending oil, you read this. I, then he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So in other words, here's his vision, and here's what it means to you. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Right? The famous verse right there. Uh, what are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a great plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with the shouts of grace, grace to it. Okay. A couple of interesting things uh, about that. First of all, the words. I just want to read uh, just a little tiny bit here. So when he talks about not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, he says, Lo v'chayil. That's very interesting. Lo v'chayil. You know what chayil is? Armies. That's what, it, that's what it means. Okay? Armies. Not just meaning like, uh, like a physical strength. Okay, not by might, as if you know you're just strong, but b'chayil, very interesting. Okay, uh, and then b'choach, which would be by power, but he says ki'im baruchi, but by my spirit. Uh, and uh, and so clearly this is uh, you know the spirit of God, the power of of God that they were going to be able to rebuild the temple by the power of God. But it speaks of something far greater than building the temple because in the temple there was not some uh, uh, um, uh, non-ending supply of oil, right? And so it's fascinating because may I suggest that in this Haftorah portion where it says God would dwell in their midst and the nations would be joined up to them, that uh, in the future, God is going to send his servant the branch, uh, and that victory will come not by armies, not by power, but by the Ruach, that what the prophet is saying to the people is that I have bigger plans in mind than the rebuilding of the temple, which is, of course, important. But I have something far bigger in mind. And you know, it's interesting, we won't turn there, but uh, someday, maybe in another Hanukkah, we'll talk about it. In, in Daniel, in the eighth chapter, Daniel has a vision of the events of Hanukkah, but you often get thrown for a loop because at the end of it says, it says, but this pertains to the time of the end. I would suggest Daniel is saying that kind of like the same thing that Zechariah is saying, that yes, Things are going to happen, but they are leading to something greater that's going to happen. And that happens all the time in the, in the Tanakh, right? When God made a promise to David about his son being king, it wasn't just about Solomon being king. It was about a dynasty that would last forever, and Solomon is the first installment leading up to King Messiah. Uh, and, uh, and, and so it is uh, here with Zerubbabel 
and the rebuilding of the temple. It's leading to something far greater. And I would suggest that this is what Yeshua has in his mind, coupled with that shepherd passage in Ezekiel chapter 34, that he is the servant, he is the branch, he is the one who dwells in their midst, he is the one who pours out the Ruach. And as a result of all of that, that is what Hanukkah gives us the hope for. And you know, it is fascinating because there is a famous Jewish scholar. His name is Michael Fishbane. And he says this, Zechariah's prophecy of a new and rebuilt temple symbolizes a future restoration of the world, a rekindling of the lights of creation through the pure worship of God, right? Uh, and, uh, and so you have the rebuilding of the temple and then the cleansing of the temple at Hanukkah, all leading up to a pure worship of God at, you know, at, a, at a future time. He also says this, other works gave different expressions to the people's yearning for redemption on Hanukkah. And then he mentions a few odds and ends. Let's see, and then he says this, Rabbi Judah Halevi offered a poignant reversal of Zechariah's ancient prophecy, calling upon God himself to proclaim the words, grace, grace to the people. In Zechariah 4.7, this phrase celebrates the renewal of the temple, but for the poet in the darkness of exile, it issues an appeal for divine grace or forgiveness. Isn't that something? Now, when he says the darkness of exile, he means like the Middle Ages, okay? Uh, he's talking about like hundreds of years after this, that this passage in Zechariah gives us the hope of Hanukkah. It fills Hanukkah with, indeed, the, uh, the hope uh, that, uh, uh, that we have, that Hanukkah uh, 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 gives us the hope for the final consummation, the final restoration, the final uh, victory that's going to come not by might, not by power, but by God's Spirit. You know, when the Lord returns and all the enemies uh, are defeated and the Lord himself will sit in the temple in Jerusalem, right? And the council of peace will be between the office of priest and king and, uh, and all the nations will come, uh, you know, at that time uh, indeed to worship, uh, to worship the Lord. And so, I, so I, when you go back, John chapter 10, and uh, we are, uh, and we see it was Hanukkah, okay? So you have these passages of Scripture in Zechariah chapter 3, right? The servant, uh, well, in chapter 2 and 3, God dwelling in their midst, nations coming, the servant, the Messiah, the servant, the branch, the, this unending pouring out of the Ruach at Hanukkah. So it makes, it makes sense what Yeshua is saying. So now, when you go down here and, and we see Yeshua answers them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These bear witness of me. Yeshua identifies himself with the Lord, with uh, Hashem, okay? And in other words, not only in his, um, you know, in the, the healings, but they point to, to who he is. He, he, he is saying, I am identified with a God. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Again, like the false shepherds of Ezekiel 34. My sheep hear my voice. These are the obedient people that follow the Lord, that recognize him. And in, you know, throughout the ages, that is all who embrace Yeshua, right? Jew and Gentile alike, right? And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. In other words, we are safe in, in the Lord. We are safe in him. No more false shepherds no more bad shepherds, that he is the shepherd. Yeshua is indeed the shepherd. 
And you know, it is interesting that back in Ezekiel 34, it says, I, I, think, it's, I think it's in the 11th verse, I think, that, I, that God is going to shepherd the people and David will rule over them. Isn't that interesting? The king and the shepherd, right? Okay. Then in verse 30, I and the Father are one. The Jews took up stones to stone him. Yeshua answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you stoning me? Yeshua answered, and the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself out to be God. Yeshua answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I, I said, you are gods? He, if he called them gods, and he's referring to judges, the, the, the word is Elohim in Psalm 82, uh, to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be spoken, do you not say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I did not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, at least believe the works, you know? Uh, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. All right. Uh, and so, uh, it's, it, you know, well, I'll only read the rest of it. Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptized, immersing people. And he stayed there. And many came to him and were saying, well, John performed no sign. Yet everything John said about this man was true. And then look what it says at the last verse. Just a little, few little words. And many believed in him there. And many believed in him there. Their eyes were opened and recognized that he is indeed identified with Hashem. Now, I, you know, it's important for us to, to get, when you read the Tanakh, there are varieties of passages where God manifested himself. I, I, I mean, I can name a, a, a series of them. Uh, one is when, uh, the, uh, when the men came to eat with uh, Abraham. Uh, another one is uh, when uh, Hagar uh, is out in the wilderness um, pregnant with Ishmael. Another one is uh, when, uh, I'm going, now I'm going to go out of order, uh, when Joshua saw the captain of the Lord of hosts. Another one is when Samson's mother and father uh, 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 see the angel of the Lord, their response is, we have seen God, yet we haven't died, right? Uh, and there are, and there's more, all right? Uh, and so it's important to understand what they're saying is, when they say blasphemy, what they're saying is, you're saying you're a God, but we only have like one God, but you're saying you're a God. They did not understand they did not understand what Yeshua was saying about himself, nor did they understand the whole thing. In fact, it sounds kind of like something that was prophesied 800 years ahead of time about that servant, about that branch. What do we read when we read it carefully? Okay. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. We did not esteem him. Okay? All right? Uh, let's see. Uh, and then it goes on. You know, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Then look what it says. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. In other words, this is a testimony. This is a prophecy of a testimony of Israel believing. So it says, read the recognition, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, but we didn't recognize him. But we thought he was being judged by God. And that is what's going on in John chapter 10. They did not, they esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. They want to curse him. They want to throw stones at him. They do not recognize him. And so this is who Yeshua is. He is the servant. He is the shepherd. He is indeed uh, the, uh, the king who brings to pass what Hanukkah is, is all about. He brings to pass the promise of the providential care of, 
of Israel, the one who will not abandon his people, the one who not only comes to cleanse a, a, a temple, right? You, you see that, like, you know, in the, with the money changers' uh, uh, tables, it's very interesting, that uh, he comes to do something far greater than cleanse the temple. He comes to cleanse the people. And he comes to a cleanse, indeed, the entire world. And we ourselves are still waiting for that day. And so just like in the days of old, just like in the word to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, yes, I'm going to rebuild that temple, you know, and it's going to be by my power, but I'm doing something far greater. May I suggest that whatever God is doing in our own lives or in the lives of our community today is not an end unto itself, but part of something far greater that that even our very being here is part of this extension of what Hanukkah is, of God saying, I am there, I'm not going to let you go, and I will indeed embrace you and cleanse you, cleanse the temple, you know, so on and so forth, and bring you to myself. And so when Yeshua came, he began that inaugural process of doing that. In a sense, what Hanukkah is, And our hope is that day when all of Israel will believe, when the Lord will return, when he he sits on his throne in in Yerushalayim. And so that no matter what it is that we are, uh, whatever it is we deal with in our lives, we know that we have a future and a hope, you see. And that is really what, uh, you know, Hanukkah uh, is indeed Uh, all about. And so, you know, we sing a song, just to to finish up, we sing a song, Ma'otsur, right? And uh, now, you know, there's two, there's two basic understandings of Ma'otsur. There's an, there is the Hebrew that we sing, and then there's the English rendition. The English rendition is not, is not exactly the Hebrew. It's not a translation that we sing, okay? We sing like an English version of it, okay? But it's a great version, and I, I want to read that. And, uh, you know, and, and traditionally, we sing it. When you say the prayers and you light the Hanukkah candles, you sing, we sing this uh, version of Ma'otzor. We're going to do that uh, tomorrow night. And I want, to, uh, I want to read it in light of what we've just talked about. Rock of Ages, let our song praise thy saving power. Thou amidst the raging foes wast our sheltering tower. Furiously they assailed us, but thine arm availed us. And thy word broke their sword when our own strength failed us. I'm going to read just the last part of it. And this really gets to, uh, in a way, the, the heart of the, the psyche of the Jewish people. In a way. Children of the martyr race. Whether free or fettered, wake the echoes of the songs where you may be scattered. Yours the message cheering that the time is nearing. See, like future, looking at Hanukkah and saying it points to the future. Which will see all men free, tyrants disappearing. And that really... <laughs> that is the, 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 the soul one might say, of, of Hanukkah. Looking forward to not just the liberation of the Jews in Jerusalem in 165 BC, but the liberation of the entire world through that poured out spirit, through what Yeshua is going to do. And that's what we read in the Bible. A new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Like Hanukkah forever. And so when we come to faith in the Messiah, we become the beginnings of that. We, we are like the promise leading up to the future, you know? Uh, and uh, so it, it is interesting. I always like, just before we pray, and, you know, in the book of Titus, there's this one verse that kind of depicts the application of Hanukkah to our lives in Yeshua. In Titus chapter 2, in verse 14, it says, who gave himself to us that he might redeem us 
from every lawless deed. Okay, he like recaptured us. And purify for himself a people for his own possession, the cleansing, and then zealous for good deeds, being dedicated for the purposes of God. And so may we be dedicated for the purposes of God, looking forward to that great, that great ultimate Hanukkah, that great ultimate day of redemption, when God will indeed dwell in our midst. The nations will come. The servant will be the branch sitting on his throne. And the Ruach will be ever flowing in this world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for the great promise of Hanukkah. Thank you, Lord, that you sent the Messiah, that Yeshua, at Hanukkah, identifies himself as this servant, the servant, the branch. Yes, the king of Israel. Yes, the king of the Jews. But the servant who comes uh, and takes away our sins, Lord. And uh, God, thank you that you, you have opened our eyes to the truth of who he is, Lord. And uh, God, uh, we pray for our community today, the Jewish community, Lord, who has the same confusion as our ancestors did about who Yeshua is, as if he is like a, a different God. But Lord, no. Thank you, Lord, that Yeshua is indeed identified as Hashem, the very presence of Hashem in our midst, the very incarnation of Hashem, not another one. But Lord, thank you, God, uh, that Yeshua, uh, to the heart uh, of uh, a Messiah follower, has some clarity and understanding of that. And thank you, Lord, that we were like our ancestors, but we become like those at the end of the chapter there in chapter 10. And many believed on that day. So, Lord, we pray, God, that you would open up the eyes of our uh, loved ones and community to know that Yeshua is indeed the promised one and that real peace, real triumph, real forgiveness, real cleansing comes in him, Lord. And so we thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's name.